Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. I pray you are empowered to walk in the fullness of your God design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. So, you know, this whole weekend has been about stories, and I love the idea of stories and the power of your story. We've heard a lot of stories. We've heard a lot of testimonies. But the reality is these stories aren't about us. These stories are about God. Like if you leave here and you remember my story, if you remember Kimber's story, if you remember Kathy's story, but you don't remember the God story, then we miss the mark, right? And God is all about stories. Um, We know that the Bible says that... um, We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And that word testimony in the Greek is the idea of casting forth a do it again, a do over. And that's really the heart of this weekend is to really throw out into the air, throw out into the atmosphere, a do it again, God. We want you to do it again. We want you to be for her what you've been for me. See, if you walk away here and all you heard was our stories and you missed the God part, then you missed it. Because we don't own our stories. We aren't the author of our stories. God is the author of our story. And in every decision, every choice, and every circumstance, we have the option, we have the opportunity to say, ooh, I'm afraid to give God the pen and write my story. I can write my own story. I can let my past write my story. I can let my mama write my story. Or I can give my pen to God and let him write my story. You know, you mentioned in Psalm 139, it says, all the days ordained for you are written in a book. For we are a workmanship in Christ, created in Christ Jesus, that he has prepared a work for us to do ahead of time. That word workmanship comes from the Greek word poeme, which is where we get our word poem from. And so what it's saying is you are a poem. You are an expression of God's heart. That your life is a reflection of an author who has something he wants to say. I'm working on my seventh book, and every book has a a message that I want to communicate. And in there, there are parts of my life, things, things that are a part of my heart that I want to communicate. An author is wanting to tell you something. When we're do- I, was, I was an English literature minor in college, and we would read all kinds of poems, and we would do studies on particular poets. And the reality is we would read poems, but what we were wanting to do was learn about the poet through the poems. Come on. When God says you are a workmanship, You are my poem. He says, I want people to learn something about me through your life. Come on, that depersonalizes it. It makes it not about us. It means it's about God. Stories are powerful because they present God possibilities in the lives of other people. Look, when I say I once had clinical depression, I would wake up in the middle of the night with panic anxiety attacks. And now you stand here and you see that I am free. There's a possibility being presented in your life. When you hear the story of somebody being healed of liver, liver disease and the miraculous work that God did in her life, what you're hearing is a possibility. You're seeing a presentation of a supernatural work. That's why we love stories, right? We love the opportunity to step outside of our reality. Come on, some of us love drama, let's be honest. We like to step out of our own stuff and step into somebody else's stuff. And, and, and we love that. We love the idea of reading a romance novel or watching a really good love story because it gives us an opportunity to kind of step away from our reality and step into something else. And Jesus was like that too. If you remember, he told stories. 
He would say, if I step down these steps, he didn't say this, I'm saying this to the sound guy. If I step down these steps, is, is there going to be a screeching noise? Oh, praise Jesus. Here we go. Okay. Jesus, Jesus would step out into the crowd and he would say this. Imagine a world like this. He was saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he used everyday circumstances, everyday words. He used a frame of reference in which we could connect with something that was supernatural. And he was presenting to us a possibility that was outside of what we could possibly have already imagined. It's like he was reaching out through into his audience, capturing your heart and pulling you through Narnia's door and saying, come into a world like this. He was presenting a possibility to us. That's the power of stories. So today you've heard a lot of stories, and it's not about the tears, I'm sorry. It's not about the heartache. If they walk away only remembering you talking about your abuse, they've missed the mark. Am I right? That's not what you want them to remember. We want them to remember what God did. We want them to remember how God wrote the story, how the enemy tried to steal your pen, but you said, that's not happening on my watch. I'm going to give God my pen, and God gets to write the story. There's only one narrative that we get to live by, but you have to choose. You have to choose. See, I like to tell people, uh, I'm the founder of Crazy Ministries, and, and we bring people in who are in poverty, and they're living a life of less than. Less than who they could be, less than who they should be, less than who they're designed to be, and that should bother us. It should bother us not just for the people around us, but it should bother us for us. There's a land that I call the in-between, and it's that place that we, sometimes we get stuck from Egypt to the promise. You understand when the Israelites were in Egypt, they were living in the land of not enough. And God said, I want to get you into the land of more than enough. But somehow they got stuck in the land of just enough. And I would like to propose to you that some of us in this room are stuck in a land of just enough. That we have settled in our heart that contentment means I just have to settle for and what we have said in the name of Jesus is contentment is actually fear. Fear of failing, fear of prospering, fear of increasing, fear of taking a risk, fear of going outside of the box, getting outside of our comfort zone. Come on, and we often say it's in the name of Jesus I'm content. And we're missing out on the promises of God. The Bible says they shall know the truth and the truth will set them free. And that word to know the truth there means to come into a reality by experience. And some of us have a lot of information about who we could be, who we should be, who Jesus has been, but it hasn't yet become a reality in our lives. And see, when Jesus was doing, when he was giving stories, he was giving more than just information. He was saying, there's a supernatural reality that I have in mind for you that's outside of what you're currently experiencing that verse when I said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, it's, it's hilarious to me. It's in John chapter 8. Jesus, he, Jesus is saying this to the disciples and to the Pharisees and Sadducees, to the crowd. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And you want to know how they responded? They said, when have we ever been in captivity? Here are people who lived their entire historical history in captivity 
Babylonian captivity, Assyrian captivity, Egyptian captivity, currently during the time when he was speaking in Romanian activity, yet there was a veil over their eyes that said, when have we ever been in captivity? I would like to propose to you that God has more freedom for you in this room. I would like to propose to you that no matter how much you've experienced of him, God has more for you in this room. I would like to propose to you that you are not stuck, that God still has a promise in mind for you, that the word God spoke to you yesterday is still true for you today because we serve a God who does not relent. That means he does not change his mind. He does not turn back from the things that he spoke. He does not change his mind. And some of us have settled in the land of, well, this is it. And you know, I'm happy. Are you? Or do you know that you know that there's something in there that when you lay in bed at night, you picture something bigger? You picture something more? You struggle with this thought that says, what if? What if I could have? What if I should have? You mentioned uh, Crazy Eight Ministries, and, and one of the things, uh, one of, you know, you have these pivotal moments with God, right? You have these altars with God where he speaks to you. You talked about the angelic presence coming into your room, a sweet gift God gave to you. And I remember being at one of my children's, um, being at one of my children's football game, I think, and there was this older gal, and she was sitting in a wheelchair, and she was kind of hunched over, and, and her granddaughter, maybe great-granddaughter, I don't know, must have been a cheerleader. And she said, she was talking to her, and she kept calling her granny, and granny was like, uh-huh. and just really, and I'm not making fun of it, I had a spiritual experience in that moment, where I, I started to really wonder what this woman's life was like, and if she had any regrets. And in that moment, I, I know that I know that I was overwhelmed with this urgency to live a life when I would get to that space and say, I'm confident I gave it everything I had. Everything that came into my mind and gave into, came into my heart, per the permission of the Holy Spirit, I did it. I didn't back away from it. I was persistent and I persevered. And God has that in mind for every single one of us. Every single one of us. So Jesus was the divine master. He was a divine master storyteller, capturing his audience from the very first sentence. I mentioned that we call biblical stories testimonies. I love in Revelation that it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's that do again. That when we testify of Jesus, it releases a prophetic movement in the room that begins to speak into the lives, begins to speak into hearts in ways that I could not. You said words today, but I guarantee you, if you talk to people in this room, they heard a different message. You want to know why? Because the Holy Spirit wrapped himself around your words, and he pierced their hearts in a way that was prophetic for them. That's the power of testimonies. But it's not about me. And it's not about her, and it's not about her, and it's not about her. It's about God. Don't forget who wrote the story. Don't forget who owns the narrative. Don't forget who the author is. Don't forget who holds the pen. And the beauty, the beauty of a story, the beauty of a testimony is it's yours. Nobody can steal it from you. Nobody can argue it. I love this story in John chapter 9 with the blind man. It's a fascinating story, actually. Blind man, I don't know if you know in historical times of that day, if somebody was blind, they were considered cursed at birth. And so the sign of the people bearing witness to the curse is they would actually spit on the blind man. So this whole life, all this man has heard his whole life is <coughs> and spit hitting him. And what does the first thing Jesus do? 
he begins to rewrite the narrative of that sound. He uses the exact sound that has pierced and penetrated his heart. He can't see him. All he hears is another. But this time, he begins to feel a loving touch on his eyes. Come on, he's rewriting the narrative. He's not changing the culture. He's not changing the circumstance. He's changing who has authored his story. He grabs the mud. He puts it on his eyes, and then he gives him an action. Come on, I'm going to talk to you a lot today about your action. Because God's word without your action will never equal the promise. You read the scriptures over and over again. It's his word plus your action equals the promise, period. He says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The man blind, you talk about blind faith. He can't see where he's going. Can I be honest with you? If I'm the blind man, I would be like, where am I going? But without a question, without hesitation, the Bible says he went and he washed and he was healed. We don't know at what point he got his sight back. Was it on the first step? Was it on the fifth step? Was it when he finally got there? We don't know, but what we know is it was a walk of faith, literally in the dark. Every step he took. He gets his healing back, and the first thing that happens is the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, Who healed you? Wasn't this the, the boy who was blind from birth? And all he can say is this, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, and now I see. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't go to theology school. He didn't know the scriptures. He couldn't quote. He couldn't walk you through Romans Road. All he had was his story. And nobody can take that from me. All I know is I once was in darkness, and now I walk in the light. All I know is I used to wake up panicked, and now I feel free. I can't explain it. If I could explain it, it wouldn't be supernatural. We say we want to serve a supernatural God, but we want to explain him. Which is it? He's one or the other. Either you want him to be explainable, or you want him to be supernatural. I don't know about you, but I need a supernatural God in my life. And here's the deal. When we hear stories, what we're hearing through the Holy Spirit is, baby, there's a super on your natural. There's a supernatural thing I want to do in your life. There's a supernatural thing I want to do through your affliction. There's a supernatural thing I want to do in your finances. There's a supernatural thing I want to do in your relationship. I'm telling you there's a super in your natural. There's a supernatural thing I want to do through your organization, through your ministry, through your business, through your marriage, whatever it is. But if you're not looking to God and expecting a supernatural, you're missing out. You're stuck in the in-between. Come on, I'm not here to bring the hard message. I'm here to bring you the hard message. Right? Because I believe that God is continuously calling us up to new levels. And there's a new level to be had in this room today, and God is here to do it. So I'm going to read to you. I am going to read scripture to you. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 5. I'm going to put my glasses on because I'm waiting on my supernatural healing in my eyes. It will happen. I'm in John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can follow with me. If not, you can just listen and be entertained, whatever. It says this. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called Hebrew in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these, in these five porches, so I want you to get a visual of these five porches. They were like over, uh, they were covered like this, and there were five of them all around, and in the middle was a pool. 
And the Bible says that in these five porches there lay a great multitude of sick people, blind people, lame people, paralyzed Sounds a little like America right now. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. But it says they were paralyzed, waiting, waiting for a false hope. Come on. Some of us are staring at a thing that's false. Some of us are staring at a thing and we're waiting for the right time, for the water to move, for the circumstance to be perfect, for the right funding, for the right connection, for the right time. While Jesus walks up and says, but I'm in the room. We're looking at a thing and we're stuck looking at that thing. And it says, you are waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and would stir up the water. And whoever stepped into it first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now it says, now a man who was there and had an infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, in the Passion, it says, do you truly long to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up, when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and, and walk. In the Greek, it, said, it actually denotes the idea that the mat is a sleeping mat. Come on, pay attention to that, because some of us have fallen asleep. I'm just saying, pay attention to that. Rise up, take your mat and walk. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now hear me when I'm saying, yeah, Rizzo, we're going to talk about that here in a minute too. So for 38 years, this mat was his story. This man is nameless. His identity is his infirmity. His identity is his mat. I would imagine if he got off his mat, you would see the imprint, a mark of his body impressed on the mat. I say that because somebody was talking about character earlier. The book I'm writing right now is talking about the character of God. And the character in the Greek actually denotes the idea of leaving a mark, being impressed, having the impression of Jesus, the character of God, impressed into our hearts. And when we get molded into the impression of Jesus, we therefore then begin to impress the lives of others. Don't confuse character with personality. I know some narcissists who have really good personality. Good personality doesn't leave a mark, good character does. So I think about the impression, the mark that has been left on this mat. As this man has lied for 38 years, come on, I'm just going to give you a visual. Unable to move, lied for 38 years with his head crooked in one direction, unable to sleep or sleeping with one eye open. Perchance the water would happen to stir while he is sleeping. Just so he wouldn't miss out on it. Forever being focused on this water. And Jesus comes and seemingly is, honestly, seems uncompassionate. Seems a little cruel that he would say, do you want to be made whole? I'm reading this story and I'm thinking, of course he wants to be made whole. But there's a reason why Jesus asked that question. I learned a long time ago that if God asks you a question, it's because you don't know the answer. Moreover, it's that you think you do know the answer and you really don't. I cannot tell you how many people come into my counseling room and they, and then when I'm finally like, do you really want to be better? And there's this long pause. Because we be honest with ourselves, a lot of us are addicted to our own dysfunction. 
And a lot of us don't know who we would be if we weren't sick, if we weren't depressed, if we weren't addicted. See, a lot of times when those things get removed, and we, and we deal with that very seriously. If somebody's coming out of addiction, we recognize that there's grief. They're grieving the loss of that relationship with meth. That sounds ridiculous, but it's something that needs to be dealt with. And a lot of times we fear who we're going to be if we let go of that thing we've always had. Whether it's depression. Oh, I've been depressed since I was a kid. My mama was depressed. My grandma was depressed. It just runs in our family. Come on, I know I'm talking to some people in this room. But the reality is if it doesn't run in the DNA of Jesus, it doesn't run in your blood. Be careful what you claim. Be careful what you speak. And be careful who's writing your story. Because there's only one story I want to live, and it's the story of Jesus Christ. It's the narrative that he wrote for me. All the days ordained for me are written in a book. I am a workmanship of Christ. I am the poem of God, a reflection of the poet's heart. My life has a story to tell, and it's not my story. It's the story of God. This is what we're talking about. So we have a man for 38 years. He was nameless. His infirmity was his story. It had become his identity. In other words, so many places in scripture, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman being stoned, the man with the shriveled hand, they were nameless. They were known by their infirmity. See, the devil wants you to be known by your infirmity. Whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a physical affliction. It can be anger in your heart. That's an infirmity. You understand that will cripple you. It can be bitterness in your heart. It can be fear. It can be fear of failure. It can be anxiety. It can be pride. Whatever it is, the devil wants you to be known for that. He wants that to be your story. He wants your mat to be your story. He doesn't want you to get off your mat. Moreover, the world will actually pay you. Come on, our culture pays people to stay stuck in their infirmity. How broken is that? You're in disability, I'll pay you to stay on disability. I'm not against government helps. Please help me. But let's be honest with ourselves. Oh, you're in poverty? I'll pay you to stay in poverty. And in some regard, the culture speaks this message that says, you're justified in your brokenness. We understand you're too broken to work. we got to be careful who's writing our story. Who's writing your story? So this man, 38 years, been laying on a mat that's a long time. And Jesus comes and he says, do you want to be made well? And again, a seemingly obvious question it seems cruel or somewhat insensitive, but note that the man does not say yes. The man immediately begins to give him excuses, justifications, reasons, intellectual facts. The reality of this circumstance was keeping him from grabbing onto the supernatural. And a lot of us have come to come with grips with reality, and your reality is keeping you from the supernatural. I'm going to say that again for you right there in the third row. <laughs> Your reality has become your story. And God says, I have a supernatural story for you. And it's a super on your reality. And a lot of us have allowed our reality to write our story, and God is saying, I've got a supernatural something for you. I have a supernatural something for you. So he gives excuses rather than saying yes. Sometimes our own anger, our own bitterness will keep us from saying yes to Jesus. Our fear will keep us from saying yes to Jesus. Our bank account will keep us from, from saying yes to Jesus. Come on, if you're the man with the shriveled hand, and he says, step forward, and you've lived your life like this, your whole life, I'm just being honest. If Jesus says to me, stretch out your hand, what's the first thing you say? I can't. But that's not what he did. 
The Bible says he stretched out his hands. He says to the ten lepers, go and present yourself as healed to the temple. And the Bible says as they went, they were healed. We don't know what step they were healed on. What we do know is according to the culture, if they got into the temple and they weren't healed of their leprosy, they would have been stoned to death. So I can't imagine the ten lepers with every step looking from side to side going, are you healed yet? No? How about you? 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 Should we go one more step? I don't, should we? Should we? Should we? Okay, let's go one more step. Okay, how about one more step? Come on, that's a walk of faith. But the Bible says as they went, they were healed. See, here's the problem with uh, our, our Christianity is we're waiting, on, uh, we're waiting for signs to act on faith. But the Bible says we are a people who operate on faith and signs follow us. And we got it backwards. So we're like, give me a sign, God! Like, cool, I'll give you a sign, but then don't call it faith, Lisa. I mean, if you need a sign, if your faith is that weak, because God talks to me like that. Uh, <laughs> he's like, if your faith, if you need a sign, I'll give you a sign. Because you need a sign, that's a sign. But then don't call it faith when it wasn't faith. I mean, you know, and so so the Bible says that we are people who operate on faith and signs follow. So we live in a culture that affirms our victimhood. We could have given tons of reasons. The, even the world says I'm broken. My mama says I'm broken. Look, my mommy and daddy carried me on this mat for the first 18 years, affirming my brokenness. Even they will tell you, I've been blind since the day I was born. It's been 38 years. It's too late now to heal me. There's a million excuses this man could have come up with, and he did. And what I love is that Jesus completely ignores all of his excuses. It's like he bypasses them. In the book that I'm writing, I'm talking about things that the glory of the Lord does. The glory meaning the character and the fullness, his person of God. I'm talking about the difference between the power of God and the person of God, the anointing versus the glory. One of the things that the glory of the person of God does is it cancels the presence of your reality in a moment. And it's like Jesus is like, well, I can't hear you. Because all that's inconsequential. Because in case you didn't realize, I just entered into the room and none of that matters anymore. You're so focused on the pool, you're so focused on the false hope that you're missing hope who's standing right in front of you. But Jesus isn't bothered by that. He completely dismisses it. It's like when Elijah, when he says to Elijah in the, in the cave, why are you here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Man, two chapters before this, you were smoking the prophets of Baal on the mountaintop, calling down fire. I gave you all the authority. You controlled the weather cast, the forecast. And now you're hiding because one woman changed the narrative. Jezebel, come on, if you guys don't know the story, look it up and read it. 1 Kings 18, 19, and 20. One woman changes the narrative, and in a moment, it shifts his entire story because he handed the pen over to it, hit the enemy. He shows up. God, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah's like, Basically, that's what he says. He actually says, I'm the only prophet left, and now Jezebel wants me. She's going to kill me. <laughs> and, uh, and so I love this story because I feel like it's my conversation with me and God a lot. And I'm the whiner, by the way. And, uh, and it's almost like God just kind of pats him on the head like, oh, that's nice. And he says, oh, yeah, I need you to get up because I need you to go anoint the prophet, the priest, and the, and the, and the king. And what is he doing? He's like, first of all, I don't think God would actually say this. In my humanity, I'd be like, stop it. But he's just basically like, I don't care about any of that. I still have a plan for you. I still have a story for you. I still have a purpose for you. And I'm still holding your pen. 
I still find you valuable. I feel I still need you. I still find you usable. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care who has spooked you. I don't care who has scared you. I don't care that you're in depression. I don't care about your self-pity. I have a plan for you. Get up and come out of the mouth of the cave. That's what he says. And for some of us in here, it's time for us to get up and come out of the mouth of the cave. And we're like, but I'm in the darkness and I'm depressed. And he's like, yeah, come out of the cave and you'll come out of your darkness. Come on, we're waiting for the, the darkness to be removed to come out of our depression. That's waiting for a sign instead of operating on faith. Some of us need a faith that will be morbid until you become it. That's one of my shirts that says, my mom's wearing it. Look, it. faith it until you become it. She's such a good mother. I paid her to wear that. I did not pay her to wear that. <laughs> so he says, take up your mat. Take up your sleeping mat and walk. And immediately, and I had you guys say that word, immediately. Because again, I often put myself in the shoes of the people who are having interactions with Jesus. And I wonder at what point, you know, uh, the guy talked about The Chosen, great series, great episode. I'm going to go out on a limb here and tell you a scene I disagreed with. Uh, and it was this scene, because he's laying on the mat, and he starts hitting his legs. And he's like, oh, and he can all of a sudden feel his legs in the movie. I don't think it happened like that. I think it wasn't until he got up that he could feel. I think his action activated the healing. I think his faith activated. I don't know. I could be wrong. I've been wrong a time or two before. I'm okay with that. But I visualize, like the woman with the issue of blood, when she said, if only I could reach out and touch the edge of his cloak, I know I will be healed. At what point was she healed? I think it's possible she was healed in that moment. Because she predetermined the encounter she would have with Jesus. I'm going to say that again. She predetermined the encounter she would have with Jesus. She decided, if some of you predetermined when you came here, I don't think it's going to be any good. I don't think I'm going to like it. And what you don't realize is you predetermined the encounter you would have with Jesus. And some of you came here today desperate. And you predetermined today, I'm going to get some healing. And I'm going to get some relief. Because if I don't find something, I'm not going to make it through another day. And some of you came in here like, it's not going to do any good for me. I've been stuck in depression. I'm always stuck in depression. That's their story. Never going to be my story. It could be your story and your story, but it's not a story for me. And you're predetermining your encounter with Jesus. We've got to understand the power that God gives. You understand that Jesus gave us the authority back here on earth. Don't make me teach doctrine to you, because then it gets really boring. But when Jesus created man and woman, he said, have dominion upon the earth. Stand upon the earth and subdue it. He said, I'm giving you the authority. And when they sinned, they handed the authority over to, to the devil. And Jesus came and he said, I'm taking that authority back. And via the Holy Spirit, I'm going to place that authority into man and woman. And so he's given us the authority, and I think we have more authority than we think we do. When Moses says, why, why have you led us into this place, God? And he, God says, why are you crying out to me? Raise up that rod and you part the water. Move forward and the waters will part. See, I think we need to recognize that we have the power to predetermine the encounters we are going to have with Jesus. Look, so the man had to make a choice in that moment. What would he actually do despite the fact that he couldn't? If you're going to experience something new, you're going to have to do something you've never done before. I tell people all the time, your current capacity is determined by your comfort zone. In other words, your comfort zone determines your capacity. And as long as you want to live a comfortable life, you have arrived to your capacity. But if you want to go farther, if you want to do more, you're going to have to stretch outside of your comfort zone. If you want to experience more of Jesus, 
You're going to have to step outside. Maybe you need to raise your arm from here to here. I don't know what it is. Maybe you need to go from here to here. I don't know what it is. But what I'm telling you is if you want to do something that you've never done before, you have to be willing to do something that you've never done before. If you want to experience something that you've never done before, you have to be willing to experience something that you've never done before. Where does it start? It starts with you. It starts with you. That's why my mantra is enforcing purpose. It starts with you. Anybody who watches my YouTubes, I end every single one of them with that. Enforcing purpose in your life, it starts with you. A lot of people are like, no, I think it starts with God. Kind of. Except that he's not going to interfere. He gave you free will over your life. And so we have more partnership with him than we think we do. We have more authority than we think we do. But here's the deal. The enemy wants you to stay on your mat. But I'm telling you that on the other, and I'm going to say it like it is, on the other side of your obedience is your promise. Because when it comes down to it, when the, he said, stretch out your hand, there was an invitation for obedience. And the obedience activated the fruitfulness of his healing. And on the other side of your obedience, there's fruitfulness. But saying yes to God requires a lot of courage. It requires a lot of faith. There's discomfort. I'm reminded of, um, when my, I'm trying to keep my eye on the clock. When my daughter, uh, my daughter, when she was a senior in high school, she tore her ACL. And they said, look, she can, you can live with a torn ACL. She can live with a torn ACL. It's not a big deal. But you cannot really ever do any athletics. You're going to have to kind of change your life. You're going to have to shift your story around your infirmity. Well, she had a scholarship to play volleyball at college. And so we were like, of course, we're going to fix her ACL. So we go in, she goes to the surgery, and when the doctor comes in the next day, he said, look, I went in there, I changed your ACL, and I repaired it. But for a while, it's going to feel worse than it did before. And I could repair that ACL. I took the torn one out, magically, supernaturally transformationed your leg, put an ACL in there. Come on, I'm speaking metaphorically here. Follow me. And he says, but if you want to get the maximum capacity out of this knee, you got to go to physical therapy. If you want to get the maximum extension, the maximum bend, be able to put the maximum amount of weight. And he said, now the work is all for you to do. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. Or you can walk with a limp the rest of your life in the just enough. You can settle in the in-between and walk with a limp. I'm saved, praise Jesus, but I'm still broken. Come on. We are a broken Christian culture. Forget America. Let's look at the church. It's a broken culture. We're limping because we're not willing to do the physical therapy. We're not willing to get uncomfortable. We're not willing to step into the messy middle. We don't want to get ugly. We don't want to get shot at. We don't want to get fired. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want people to call me names. You have no idea how offensive it is to house homeless people in Johnson County. Sweet Jesus. I thought, are you serious right now? But you know what you got to do? You got to put a yoke. You got to put a, a head yoke. You understand there's a difference between a neck yoke and a head yoke. For the, let me help you, Kathy. <laughs> this is just for you and I. Okay. For the more stubborn, adventurous, sometimes disobedient people, God puts a head yoke on us, not just a neck yoke. So a neck yoke is like this, but for the oxen who were a little unruly or were difficult to get into a line, he would put a head yoke so they couldn't even look side to side. They couldn't even learn, look side to side. And I have had to learn to say to God, you're going to have to put a head yoke on me because I'm distracted by those voices. 
And I say they don't hurt me, but when I'm laying in bed at night, God, they pierce. So you're going to have to put a head yoke on me. And you're going to have to guide me all the way so that I'm undistracted, undeterred, determined to continue to press on. That's the perseverance that God wants us to have for your own healing, for your own tomorrow. So let me ask you this. Who's writing your story? Or what is writing your story? Is it a circumstance? Some of us, our infirmity is the man who, who divorced us 38 years ago. And that still writes our story. It's time for us to get over it. Nobody cares. The only person who's broken is you. For some of us, it's whatever you did when you were 18. It's whatever you did when you were, so I'm telling you, God is here today and saying, baby, take up that mat and walk. That mat has become a bigger deal to you than it is to God. Because what God has done for you is bigger than anything that has happened to you. I'm going to say that again. What God has done for you is bigger than anything that has happened to you. I'm going to say it one more time. Whatever has happened to you, what God has done for you is bigger. That's the but God. That's the but God. I have a shirt back there, number one seller. God's butt is bigger than your butt. Period. I say it from the pulpit all the time. I like the shock and awe factor. It's not as bad as one time when we've started uh, ministering to men at Crazy Eight Ministries. I said from my pulpit, I'm so excited to announce that we're finally servicing men at Crazy Eight Ministries. <laughs> my husband was in the front row. He was like doing this, you know. Like so, he was like, oh, sweet God. Uh, but, I, you know, sometimes it's like tube coming, or toothpaste coming out of a tube. Once it comes out, you can't get back in. And that's just how it is. So let me ask you a question. Who's writing your story? Is it your ex-spouse? Is it your illness? Is it your doctor? Come on, we allow the intellect of man to write our story. Is it your mama's depression, your daddy's rejection? Is it possible that you think your mat is holding on to you, but you're holding on to your mat? Is it possible that immediately you could be like, depression, I'm leaving you here today. Rejection, I'm leaving you here today. Anger, I'm leaving you here today. Brokenness, poverty, whatever it is, I'm leaving. Is it possible? I'm going to give you that answer. All things are possible with God. And if God is calling you to it, he's not just inviting you or asking you or teasing you. His, his, his question is an invitation for you to respond. When I had um, clinical depression, I remember going to a women's conference and I was sitting, it was a Women of Faith conference. You guys remember this with Beth Moore and all those people, right? And I went to this Women of Faith conference, and it was great. And I was sitting at a table with about four or five other women, and they were all talking about having struggled with rejection. Oh, I used to struggle with that too. And oh, and I've been set free, whatever. And I was getting angry. I was like the man on the mat, like everybody else gets in the pool, but I am. You know, because we get angry when people get healed and we don't. Well, we do. And so I was like, kind of like, you know, and so I finally said at the table, I don't understand. God told me all the same things, and I haven't been healed of depression. And one lady looked me straight in the eye, and she said, did you do that? And it, it hit me, because she was right when people would say, Philippians 4, 8, you need to make a list every night of all the things that were lovely, all the things that were pure, all the things that were noble, all the things that were excellent. Great word. I memorized it. 
I meditate on it, but you know what I didn't do? I didn't do it. I didn't actually sit down at night and go, okay, now I'm going to make a list. I'm going to take inventory of the thoughts that I had today and the ones that were not praiseworthy, I'm going to cross those out and I'm going to break those off of my mind. See, these were things I was being told to do and I had information. I knew how to do it. I could even tell other people to do it, but I didn't do it. So if you're that person in this room that you're like, I've heard all these things and I know that God is a healer and I know that God can deliver me and I know that I, I can do better and I know I'm supposed to start a ministry and I know my marriage is going to be healed and I know blah, 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 blah. But for whatever reason, you need to ask God today, what's the one action? God, you tell me what it is and I will do it. If you say take up my mat, immediately I will take up my mat. I will not hesitate. I will not ask questions. I will do it. You've got to know that you know. You've got to resolve in your heart. When he said to Samuel in the Old Testament, when God speaks to you, say, speak, Lord, here am I. If you read that in the Hebrew, it's the idea of speak, Lord. I am listening with the intention to act. Meaning I'm speaking like this. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm listening like this. You know, okay. I'm coming before God and I'm asking him a question, but I'm ready. I'm in the blocks and I'm ready. But a lot of us are just like laying on our mat. God, will you heal me? I'm too tired. I'm going to call my tent and let them lay. Jesus didn't spoon the man. Come on. A lot of us like to be spooned in our affliction. Can you lay on my mat with me? Please. Jesus didn't lay on the mat with him. This man needed to be ready. And did you video that? You're welcome. You're welcome for that. Follow me on Instagram. You never know what you're going to see. So when we ask God, God, I believe I'm ready. And I believe you've said that healing is for me. I believe, God, that you say that you are the joy of the world, that you are the light of the life. I've not been feeling it. So, God, I'm, I'm asking and I'm ready. God, what is it that I need to do to activate what's already been established through the cross? Come on, some of us think we need to work for it. And sometimes you just need to stand on it and respond to it. Talking about instead of living a life like, I love you, God. Oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I'm striving that I'm sitting, I'm listening, and my whole life is like, mm -hmm, I love you too. Yeah. I'm living my life in response to the gospel. I'm not living my life trying to live out the gospel. The gospel was lived out through Christ. It's fine. You can't fix it. He already did it. But are we listening with the intent to move? So I want you to remember that all the days ordained for you are written in a book. And today, what I'm going to ask you, and, and I'm going to challenge you, because that's what I do. I'm going to eat on the Enneagram. I'm a challenger. That's what I like to do. I'm going to challenge you to really consider what's kept you from saying yes. What are the excuses in your life? Is it that I don't have enough money? My husband won't let me. Come on, we can have a conversation about that. So, Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we just thank you for the opportunity. God, to stand in your presence, we thank you, Lord, for the question that says, do we want to be made whole? Come on, there's a difference between healing and wholeness. Body, soul, spirit, all things coming into kingdom alignment. I just declare, even in this room, even as we're sitting here with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, that you'll just begin to feel the heavenly alignment, the kingdom possibilities beginning to flow through your heart and through your mind. Come on, let him show you big things. See, when Jesus told stories, he was stirring up the imagination of the listener. 
and your imagination is a writing tablet for God's finger to begin to show you your possibilities. Let him show you the big. Let him show you the bigger. And let him show you the biggest. Determine in your heart that your answer is yes. We say yes, Lord. Yes and amen. We say yes, Lord. Yes and amen. I rebuke the devil and his lies that would say this is as healthy as you're going to get. I don't know who that word's for. But somebody has said, well, at least, at least I'm not dead. But you're still sick. You're still hurting. And the devil has told you this is as healthy as you're going to get. And God is saying that's a lie. That healing and wholeness is in mind for you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to click subscribe so you can catch each episode every month. I want you to walk in your fullness. For more information about other services and resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Lisa Schwartz LLC. I look forward to connecting with you. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you.